Billy Pelser has a nice home. Billy, is that you? Yeah, Ma, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents who are about to give him... You're gonna like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're gonna have to open it now. It won't wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift he ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. Hey everybody, it's the Cannon Cruisers. I'm JD. And I'm Randy, and this is another exciting edition of the non-canonical adventures of JD and Randy. Today we're talking about Gremlins from 1984, starring Zach Galligan. Phoebe Cates. And directed by uh, Joe Dante, I think. And written by Chris Columbus. Yes. I think. And uh, also featuring the voice work of Howie Mandel. As well as many other voice actors from the era, back when they hired voice actors to do voiceovers. So, Randy, I'm not sure if you ever saw this movie before, so uh, why don't you go into what it's about? Y young boy, not that young. He's like <laughs> a, a uh, how old would you say? It's like in his late teens, early 20s. It's about it, 1920. 19 or 20, yeah. He's given a gift from his father. It turns out it's a mystical creature from the East called a Mogwai, mm -hmm. uh, which they promptly named Gizmo, yep. um, who had, comes with very, very set rules. Mm -hmm. Don't feed him after midnight. Don't get him wet. Yep. And and uh, then that happens, and chaos ensues as they turn into demonic creatures known as Kremlins. And that's pretty much the movie. Who then devour the town. Also, this movie is like PG, yes. and is actually one of the movies that is responsible alongside Temple of Doom for the PG-13 rating. Yes, it also came out the same exact week as Ghostbusters. Same exact day yeah. as Ghostbusters. Which is strange, considering it ended up being such a huge success regardless. Well, the story behind that is... Warner Brothers was looking at their schedule and realized they had no big uh, summer movie, so mm -hmm. they uh, moved it up because this movie was supposed to be a Christmas movie. This movie yeah. is a Christmas movie, but, but they Christmas. they moved it up and they they mm -hmm. put it up against Ghostbusters, and it did fairly well, which is surprising because usually that doesn't work out for any movie when they do something like that. Two movies with a terribly similar audience, yeah, and for many people a terribly uh, similar nostalgic place in their hearts for it. Yeah, because it came out in 1984, right in the summer months where there was a lot of competition. Including, as he just mentioned, Temple of Doom. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that's more or less the plot of Gremlins. It's pretty straightforward. But what were your impressions of it, Randy? Yeah, it's a fun, goofy movie. Uh, mm -hmm. um, pretty good as a introduction to younger children for what horror is. Without it being overly scary, it still can be scary at times. Uh, oh, the, that scene with the, the mother killing the Gremlins, that's pretty gory. Or how about, spoiler, the last scene with the one last scare... Oh yeah, that that was always pretty terrifying to the me as a child. The disintegrating skeleton, gremlin skeleton on the uh, floor. Yeah, that's... yeah, 
as it melts. It's pretty nasty, yeah. It's uh it's a it's a comedy movie. It's more or less a normal Christmas movie for about the first twenty minutes until Gizmo gets wet and then slowly turns into a horror movie when they become gremlins and it becomes a horror movie all the way up to the end. It's a strange transformation. And as I said, it's kind of weird that it came from Joe Dante because at this point he was really only known for one movie. So it just well, seems like a real They had known he had worked on other movies like mm-hmm. Piranha. But uh, the howling uh, had really put him on the map for a director of like these type of creature features, yeah. and that's uh, one of the reasons uh, Spielberg brought him in. Hmm, this is more what he's known for than that movie. Oh yeah, did I forget to mention that this is the one of the first movies to have the Amblin logo? Oh yeah, uh, in front of it. I didn't and, know that. Yeah, uh, the classic Amblin logo. The T one. Yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't even have known that. Yeah, my impressions are the same. I never, I didn't see this one as a kid. I only saw it later, but I really liked it then, and I still really like it now. It's a funny movie, it's a creepy movie, and it's a good Christmas movie all at the same time. It's like this movie and its sequel were mainstays of my childhood. I had seen them a lot, didn't I? Mm-hmm. My cousins, uh, and just just in general, it was on TV fairly often. And mm-hmm. I, think they were, I think they had a bootleg VHS of it or something. Yeah. What was it Joe Dante said uh, about this movie? He said he was surprised it was a hit? Yeah, it, Joe Dante um, couldn't understand why this movie did so well. And I think he kind of has a point because if you watch the movie, it's a really weird movie. It's, it's really, actually honestly all over the place pacing-wise. It's really and, bizarre. Yeah, it kind of goes crazy near the end. It becomes a, a cartoon, not as much as the second film. but It, it, becomes, it escalates. It escalates, yeah. I said it's, it starts normal, then it gets dark, then it gets weird... And then it gets dark again at the end, and then it ends. Speaking about darkness, how about that uh, Phoebe Cates monologue in the middle of the movie about why she doesn't believe in Santa Claus? Isn't that kind of a, a mainstay from the original script that you said was... Uh... Yeah, in the original script there was another character who gave, who gave that version of, this, version of it, mm-hmm. but in this the movie it ended up going to her. Yeah, because it's kind of... Out of tone with the movie, but because the movie but is so weird... But it also kind it, of explains the tone of the film, like, at the same time? It works because it fits in with the tone. It's kind of... It's a commentary the on the film that, hey, this is, hey, listen to this warm heart, warming Christmas story where her dad died uh, <laughs> after he tripped and uh, broke his neck while climbing down a chimney while delivering presents on Christmas Eve. Look at how terrifying this story got fast. It literally comes after a scene where the gremlins are partying in a bar, literally, like, hitting each other head with cartoon hammers. So it's really weird. And that's why I don't believe in Santa. <laughs> that's how I found out there's no Santa Claus. And he's just staring at her dumped out. The next scene. We yeah. don't talk about it anymore. It's like, oh, hey, look. Spike is in... Uh, sorry. Stripe is in uh, the, the mall across the street. We should go there. We should go no there. No comment on anything. <laughs> it's like, okay, you need to see a psychiatrist. Yeah, it's, it's a really bizarre movie. And I think that actually works to its favor because it's a bizarre concept to begin with. But yeah, what did you... What were your highlights of the movie, Randy? It's a really hard thing to come to, to narrow down because, like I said, it's a mainstay stay of my childhood. It's mm-hmm. like it's a I know this movie inside and out, and there's never and it's not just one thing that stands out. But mm-hmm. I, if anything, it's that the tone of the film is just so pitch perfect that the moment that it does the turn, it's like you're watching this and you're going, "Oh, this is a children's movie." Okay, it's like yeah. Oh boy, did that turn come, and oh my god, this is kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Like, just that, that little twist right there. That like, It starts, let's say, uh, let's put a scale like here, it starts like a, a child children's movie up here, and then at some point it gets like right all the way down here to a horror movie, and then it kind of settles in the middle at some point. And not to and compare, waffles between and the not two. to compare it to another children's horror movie we watched, The Gate, mm-hmm. but I'm going to compare it to The Gate. Might as well. Uh, in that the, 
that this is actually scary, whereas the other one wasn't. Oh, where, the gate was creepy more than yeah, scary. Yeah, it was creepy more than scary, but the if I would have to point out, like, go to any one thing other than the tone, it's just the practical effects are great on the film, on oh, the yeah. Gremlins, the puppeteering is great on it, The how disgusting the, the gore, quote-unquote, PG gore is in this film. It's all Gremlins gore, too. It's not people gore, so that's one of the reasons why they probably got away with it. I mean, it isn't like they ate the dog or killed the mother, am I right? Yeah, well, we were watching this when Randy was telling me some of the things that were in the original script of the movie. Second draft of the script from Chris Columbus. And it was a bit, I don't know, kind of standard to me. Very obvious 80s horror movie cliche. Yeah, I was giving JD uh, dramatic readings from the script. Yeah, and like every change they made to the movie, I think is for the better. It gave it its own character and it made it stand out because all the stuff he's talking about is, yeah, I could have seen that happening in a lesser movie. Thankfully, that's not this movie. Like there's literally a scene in this in one of the drafts where Billy walks into the house and underneath the Christmas tree is his dog dead with the gremlins eating him. Yeah, which you've probably seen in other horror movies. It's, like I said, it's a, one of the things I like about the movie is how it does do all these weird twists and turns, but it manages to maintain its tone throughout, despite the craziness that's happening, and how it waffles, like I said, between being a kid's movie, a Christmas movie, and a horror movie all at once. So what's your highlight of the film? That is my highlight of the film. I would manage just to maintain that balance despite how weird and off kilter it gets. It's a very weird. It's a very weird movie, but it's a very good movie because it manages to maintain itself. It could easily fall apart too. I think if it was handled by anybody else, it probably would have. It's walking very much a like tightrope of, of tone throughout the film. It's like mm-hmm. what are we? What are we going to do? When do we rein it back? When do we? Uh, when do we go full horror? And I, I, I think, um, well, I know uh, Steven Spielberg was the executive producer and was fairly hand-on, but overall mm-hmm. let Joe Dante do his thing, but sometimes he, him and Joe Dante went, no, no, let's rein this back a little bit. It was the same thing when he was involved with uh, uh, Poltergeist, which is... Um... Some say, some believe that he may have actually directed Poltergeist. Uh, I would have directed it. If I didn't see uh, his his uh, the director's other movies, whose name I'm forgetting right now, but I know who it is. Hooper, something Hooper. Toby Hooper, yes. Yeah. He he did uh, he did that one, but he also did like t- Texas Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He did Life Force and um, the remake of an of uh, Invaders from Invaders Mars. from Mars. You could see his fingerprints all over it. It's sort of the same thing with this movie with uh, Joe Dante, but you're seeing the fingerprints of Joe Dante on this movie. You see, you see his stylistic things from from things, movies we've seen that have been done by him in the past, like, mm-hmm. such as his segment uh, in uh, Twilight Zone. The movie yeah, Spielberg probably offered uh, offered tips for the movie, like don't do this or do this. But I'm pretty sure this is all Joe Dante, especially when we saw his other stuff. Same thing with Toby Hooper and Poltergeist. It's it's uh, he's pretty hands off, I think, when it comes to interfering with other directors so let's uh stop it with this love fest for this film mm-hmm. and uh what would your low point of the movie be mine is that there's too many gremlins <laughs> i'm you kidding i'm kidding that one uh, but jd wants me to explain it because i got a big grin on my face because apparently in the production of the film one of the early cuts of it the uh the studios came back and said to steven spielberg and joe dante there's too many gremlins in this movie mm-hmm. and steven spielberg replied maybe we should just cut them all out and call the movie people <laughs> might as well huh but uh yeah. really it's the really the my low light of film is something that i've been noticing the last couple of viewings i've had of this film in the last few years mm-hmm. is that even though it has that tightrope walk the movie is very slow to 
developed. It's there. It, it, it just has a very leisurely pace mm-hmm. that the second movie, which I have also watched uh, within the last couple of years, doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And it's like I feel like the movie could have been a little bit more, less meandering in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine would be that characters sort of disappear. Like, yeah. There's a whole lot. Like, because we, we were doing this while we were watching the movie. What's the kill count? We're talking about this. And the then, only two that we can think of is, there's literally two of them. There's yeah. Mrs. Deagle, the, the Wicked Witch of the West yeah. type character, and uh, possibly the science teacher who, who in the original script was stabbed to death in the face with syringes, but in the movie is only stabbed in the butt. Once. Once. So it's like, what did he get stabbed with? So we don't really know if he's dead. That, and that's the thing, is that uh, before anybody is actually ever killed in this movie, they usually cut away from them and go somewhere else where the gremlins are somewhere else. So we don't actually know. But that also means like there's characters in the first 20 minutes of the movie, like he was just mentioning, the... Uh, the meandering aspect that like we, kind we, of we never vanish. Get, it's like we're we're talking about like characters that. Uh, well, I should name some of the actors here because this actually has a very big cast outside of Zach Galligan and Phoebe Cates. Mm-hmm. Like people who disappear in this movie. This movie has, for instance, uh, Judge Reinhold, mm-hmm. and he's a pretty big character in the beginning of the movie when the movie is completely something else. Yeah, and he disappears. You got uh, Dick Miller who plays Murray, who's a pretty big part of the beginning of the movie. And then he disappears completely, though we know he doesn't die because he makes an appearance in the second film. Yeah. Um, and then you get, like I said, it's like just people like that. Like these all these background characters that we know. Dory, the uh, the owner of the bar, he disappears completely. Yeah. Though in the, one of the screenplays where he's the one that gave the Santa Claus speech, he's ripped to death horribly in a scene that would be reenacted in Shaun of the Dead, basically. Yeah. Like I said, it's that's... Like all all these characters we we met we we spent time with they just kind of vanish like from the movie. Pete Fontaine and his father so Corey Feldman he disappears from the movie yeah he's the last time we see him he's fighting off uh, gremlins uh, on his roof with the, his slingshot and you don't see him again you don't see any of the uh, the characters again like um, at the end of the movie when you just see uh, him and his family uh, in the house they could have easily had the other characters there yeah but they didn't it's it's kind of weird. It's like at least Pete, come on! It's like you're 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 trying to push this Corey Feldman. Oh yeah, this this, this Corey Feldman kid that I don't know about, know who he is, uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, that's that's the one thing that's always bothered me about the movies. Like I really like it, but I was like, okay, so what happened to him? Okay, is that guy dead? I don't know. Like Dick Miller, for instance, you would have assumed he would have been killed, except and he's in the second movie, so that even throws into doubt if anybody died in the first movie. Yeah, it, they leave that very nebulous, but that's because it's a PG yeah. movie. I think if the PG-13 rating was there, they might have been a little bit more explicit about who lived and who died, but yeah, instead probably. they're leaving it up to our imagination. Which, as I said, is actually an advantage of the movie to help it to stand out from other sorts of movies like that. Like like we just mentioned, the second draft, that's, to me, very typical 80s horror movie. I w- I, if that was the movie that came out, I don't think it would have been remembered two years after it was released. But because it's the way it is, I think it actually does help the movie a lot. So, with that out of the way, Randy, what's your score of Gremlins? I, it's, it's like, uh, like I said, it's like I'm, the nostalgia glasses are going to be firmly off here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm only going to give it a four. Four Whoa. out of five. I, I, don't, I, I think it's a phenomenal film. It's one of my favorite films. It's in my top ten for sure. But I don't think of it as a perfect film. Uh, and perfect. also, kind of going to surprise people now, it's like, I honestly think the second movie is better than the first movie. 
Well, I think the second movie... Okay, like I said, I, I didn't watch these movies when I was a kid, so I, I don't have any nostalgia glasses for these movies. But I saw the second movie right after watching the first movie, and my first question was, why did anybody hate this movie? It's, it's, uh, it's like this movie, only wackier and crazier it's not even really the same type of movie that that one's more of a first one this one is more of a horror christmas movie with a comedy bent that one's just more of a comedy it's not really the same type of genre but it's also a good movie so without any nostalgia on this movie i'd also give it a four two as well i really like the movie a lot but there's just little things about it where it's just like oh i would have liked if they would have done something with yeah this. exactly like i said it's not a perfect film it's not and like I said, it's like the last few years watching this, it's kind of, I'm starting to lose a little bit of my steam on it. And like, no, I like this movie and I like where it places in my mm-hmm. in my personal canon. And it's just, yeah, there's something about it in the recent years when I watch it. It's like there's something lacking. And that's why I'm like, no, this is this is a four. If you had asked me like maybe a, two or three years ago, I'd be like, no, this is a five. Mm-hmm. It's like if I were to place movies that came out on the same day, it's like I'd be giving Ghostbusters a five. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that one, I can watch that every year and that one never, that ages, that ages like a fine wine. But this one, like I said, this one here, something is being lost with each additional viewing but despite that it is a great movie and i would highly recommend watching this one like i like as we spent so much time talking about it but it's really something you have to experience to really understand it's not your typical horror movies not your typical christmas movie not your typical uh kids movies not typical comedy it's kind of all those things only bent slightly and for people who watch this movie around christmas it's, it's it's a good pairing with uh, Die Hard as a Christmas movie, as, as like the non-traditional Christmas movies. Yep, definitely don't watch it after It's a Wonderful Life, where you'll you'll have some weird trips because of the the setting. But that's beside the point. So I guess with that, we've had another exciting uh, non-canonical adventure of. Uh, oh, okay. You want me to say full time <laughs> the non-canonical adventures <laughs> of JD and Randy? Um, yep. And uh, you'll hear from us next week. Yeah, we'll continue with our new. Well, our non-canon series that we usually do between seasons. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. They become clever. (laughs) Mischievous. What's going on here? And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Little monsters. Right. Hundreds of them. Well, I, I don't know, maybe thousands. They've been here too. Billy, what are these things? Where did they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know. But in a few hours, you're gonna have a major disaster on your hands. Grandmans. Directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you.